Would you pray with me? God, there are at least 10,000 reasons that we could bless your holy name for the, another day of life, for the rain that falls, even though sometimes we're not excited about it. It gives new life to every part of your creation, for your grace that flows freely into our lives. God, we bless you. We thank you. We praise your name this day. Open our eyes, God, and help us to see your blessings, your gifts around us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. Advice columnist Ann Landers was once asked, out of the more than 10,000 letters she receives every month, if there was a common problem that emerged, if there was one thing that was the overwhelming question she would hear. And she said, without a doubt, the number one thing that she asked for help, was asked for help with was fear. She said, everybody writes in and asks for help with fear. We all have fears. We may not talk about it. We not, may not be open and vulnerable about the fact, but every single one of us will at some point wrestle with fear. Columnist Dave Barry put it this way, all of us are born with a set of instinctive fears of falling, of the darkness, of lobsters, of falling on a lobster in the dark, <laughs> of speaking before the Rotary Club, and of the words, some assembly required. We have fears. I've never met a person for whom fear was a foreign experience. Some people are afraid of dogs. Some are afraid of cats. I don't like, okay, I'm afraid of thunderstorms. I don't go crawl under the bed and hide but I'm afraid of a raging thunderstorm. My wife, on the other hand, will go into our living room, pull back the drapes on our picture window, sit there and stare at the storm and the lightning and be in awe of the majesty of God. I don't get it. <laughs> Some of us fear failure. We fear the loss of a job. We fear criticism, illness, rejection. We fear growing old. We fear being in close places. We fear darkness or insects. The Bible speaks often and clearly about fear as a part of our human condition. Just scan the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and if you do that, you will find more than 19 people mentioned who wrestle with and express fear. Some of them we look to as great people of faith. Adam and Eve were afraid to face God because of their sin. Abraham was afraid that he would die childless. Sarah, his wife, was afraid of punishment, so she lied to an angel of God. Lied to an angel of God. Lot was afraid of dying, so he hid in a cave and got drunk. Hagar, Sarah's servant, was afraid her son would, would die, and she was paralyzed by her fear. Isaac was afraid he'd be killed, so he lied about Rebekah being his wife. Jacob was afraid that his father-in-law was going to kidnap his family by force, and so he escaped with his family in the middle of the night. Joseph, his brothers, all 11 of them, were afraid that Joseph would seek revenge and have them killed. That's just the book of Genesis. Fear is a part of the human condition. It's part of our experience. Some of our fears are 
real, some are imagined, some are irrational, but we have them. We all have fears. So what do we do with them? Can we ever calm our fears? Can we get answers to them? Can we leave them behind us? And maybe the bigger question is, can we hold on to our faith in the middle of our fears? Well, good morning, everybody. A lingering faith can eat away. I'm sorry, a lingering fear can eat away at our faith. It can leave us wondering if God really cares about what's going on in our life. If he hears us when we pray or if he is even there at all. Now, in my life, when I'm dealing with fears, I have found three approaches that help me. They can work separately, they can work together, but they've helped my faith not only survive in the midst of fear, they've helped my faith grow when my faith is bruised and battered by fear. The first of those is I, we face our fears with faith. We face it with that faith. In Numbers chapter 13, we read an interesting account from the life of Moses as he's leading the nation of Israel. For hundreds of years... God's promise was repeated from parent to child. God is going to give us the land of Canaan, the promised land. It's something every individual in the nation of Israel had looked forward to. They had anticipated it for more than 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And in all that time, it had been an unfulfilled promise. They waited. They waited generation after generation, and now in Numbers 13, they are camped on the west side of the Jordan River, and all that separates them from that promise being fulfilled is one small stream. God instructs Moses to send a team of 12 spies. This recon team is going to go in and scope out the land in preparation for an attack. One man from every clan, is going to be sent in. They were sent by this command from God. Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. God didn't say, I might give it to you. He didn't say, I could give it to you. He didn't say, send the men in and explore the land and see if it's possible that you could conquer it. God spoke this as though it's something that was already happening. I'm giving it to you. I am right now. It's as if I said to you this morning, I want you at the end of the service to go back to the back of the auditorium and I want you to pick up a thousand dollars in cash each that I've placed there and I'm giving it to you. Done deal. Wouldn't that be nice? In fact, Darren's already made arrangements to do that out of the generosity of his heart. So for 40 days, these 12 men traveled. They explored, they investigated the land, and at the end of the time, they came back and returned to Moses, and they gave a full report. You can read it for yourself in Numbers 13 and 14, but here's the essence, paraphrased, of what they said to Moses. We went in. We investigated. The land is wonderful. It grows wonderful crops. It's a great place to live, but, and it's a big but, the people who live there are fierce. Their cities are huge and they're well fortified. And what's worse, we saw giants. They're descendants of the legendary giant Anak. 
These people hold the valleys, they hold the hills, they hold the lakes, they hold the riverfronts, they hold the coastline. And now, I'm going to stop there. Because it seems like the more these explorers talked, the bigger their fears grew, the bigger the story grew. It's like they were starting to exaggerate, you know? We spent some time with our grandkids this past week. My grandson Landon is four, and he was telling me a story about something that happened at preschool, and the longer he talked about it, the bigger the story got. You ever been around a kid that's four years old telling a story? And I just stopped him at one point, and I said, Landon, are you making this up as you go? And he went, yeah, and then he went on with the story. (laughs) It's like that's what's happening with these spies as they're telling the story. Listen to what happens as they go on. They say, we can't possibly attack these people. They're way stronger than us. The land is even against us. It swallows people whole. The people were so large and so strong that we looked like grasshoppers beside them. And that's what they thought, too. So apparently they weren't scary enough that they couldn't talk to them because they did a public opinion survey and found out this is what they think. They said, yeah, you look like grasshoppers. This is nothing more than a suicide mission, they said. Now, to be fair, only 10 of the 12 spies said this. Two of the men exhibited incredible faith. Who were they? Remember? They were Joshua and Caleb. Their comment, when all this exaggeration of the facts was done, they said, let's go. We can do this. They didn't argue with the facts. Apparently, in spite of the exaggeration, it was close enough to the truth that they just let it go. They didn't argue. To fully grasp Joshua and Caleb's faith in the midst of the fears, you have to picture the scene. This wasn't a report that was given in some back room to a select committee. The report of the spies was given in front of the entire nation of Israel, which numbered more than a million people. It so terrified the nation that they wailed in fear all night long. In the face of a fear like that, Joshua and Caleb chose faith. They chose to believe that God was greater than the challenge that was ahead of them. They chose faith. They didn't choose to try harder. They didn't choose to rationalize. They didn't choose to argue with the facts. They didn't choose to argue with each other. They didn't choose to deny their fear. They chose the only antidote that they knew to fear. They chose faith. There are times in life when faith is beyond reason. Were there giants in that land? Yeah. Was it going to be hard to fight the battles? Absolutely. Those were undisputed facts. But faith would fill in the gap, and it will fill in the gap for us when we don't know what to do and we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Faith is a choice to go on living in the face of death. Faith is a willingness to take a risk even when the odds are against us. Hebrews 11 says, Faith is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It's the evidence of things we can't yet see. But simply saying that we need to have faith in our fears isn't helpful. It's like saying to a sick child who has a fever, you need to get rid of that fever. Well, everybody agrees that. The question isn't, 
that he needs to get rid of the fever, it's how. The question isn't we need to have, whether or not we need to have faith in our fears, it's how. So how did Joshua and Caleb manage to be the only two people who had faith in the midst of fearful circumstances? They did two things. First, they remembered God's provision in their life. This wasn't the first time that God's people needed help. Joshua and Caleb had personally experienced God's provision, as had everyone else who had been standing there. Joshua and Caleb just chose to remember it. Remember when the Israelites were fleeing from Egypt? They had come out of 400 years of slavery. They were leaving Egypt. They got to a point where they were standing on the shores of the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army was closing in on them to take them back into slavery. The Israelites were seriously in need of God's help. And what did God do? He parted the Red Sea, then dried up the bed of the sea so they could walk across. And when the Egyptian army came into that bed of the sea to follow them and capture them, God closed the sea over top of them and killed the Egyptian army. That goes beyond reason. No one expected that to happen. God's provision went beyond that. It was recent history. Walking from Egypt to the promised land, Canaan, wasn't like walking around the corner to the 7-Eleven. It took weeks to make the journey. And God miraculously provided food and water for over a million people during all of that time. Again, way beyond reason. It took faith. And God met every need all along the way. And God is now promising, I'm going to meet all of your needs. You will get the promised land. It will be yours. And based on God's care and provision in the past, they had no reason to doubt that he would take care of them in the future. Would it be hard? Yes. Will there be sacrifices? Yes. Will God be with you? Yes, yes, yes. So what about your life? What stories could you tell about how God has provided for you? Where has God shown up in your life in ways that are way beyond reason, ways that only faith would make sense? Remembering God's faithfulness in your past is key to trusting him with your future. Second thing that enabled Joshua and Caleb to hold on to their faith in spite of their fear was they held on to his promises, God's promises. Before they left to explore Canaan, those 12 men heard God's promise a second time. God reiterated it and said, I'm already giving you that land. And God had never broken a promise to his people. So what are the promises that God makes to us today? What can you hold on to when you're afraid? Listen for a minute to just a sample of the promises God makes to us. He says in Isaiah, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you won't go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am God. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade in the creation just for you, so don't be afraid. I'm with you. 
when my fears come over me, when they seem to be too much for me, when it seems they'll get the best of me, I turn to passages like that. And I read them. So what are the ones for you? What are the verses that you can lead into, hold on to? What are the verses that seem to penetrate to the core of your fear and give you faith? Find one or two. Hold on to them tightly. Read them daily. Read them hourly if you need to. Put them on your refrigerator so you see them. Put them on your bathroom mirror. Put them on the rearview mirror of your car, not obstructing the whole thing. That's a different level of faith. I will put them at times when I'm really struggling. I'll put them as an hourly reminder on my smartphone, on my computer, so they just pop up and I read them. And they strengthen my faith and diminish my fears. Second idea for facing our fears in life, and it works in tandem with faith, is to face our fears with truth. Trent Dilfer uh, is a name that's kind of faded uh, because 1999, they won the super, he led his team, the Baltimore Ravens, to win the Super Bowl. But within months of winning the Super Bowl, he went from that high to an incredible low when his only son fell ill and died of a rare heart condition. The circumstances around his son's death, he said, created a fear, a justifiable fear, for him and for his wife. Would they develop that same disease? Later on, when their other two sons were born, they had a fear that their sons might develop the same disease that killed their first son. Was it an irrational fear? No. Was it wrong to have that fear? No. It was a logical, rational fear. Fear isn't always a bad thing. It triggers defense mechanisms in us that allow us to prepare for and handle crises, danger, when we're facing a tornado, a hurricane, when we're driving down the road and a car swerves into our lane. Fear allows us to cope with situations that are dangerous in our lives. And it creates this normal, logical reaction. But, left to run its course unchecked, fear can paralyze us. It can lead us to loneliness, isolation, and excessive worry. Fear can overwhelm us and make us hopeless. And when that happens then the truth of Romans 15 hits us and we become a slave to fear. So when we take our fears and we hold them up to the truth of Scripture, it helps us determine if our fear has any foundation. If it doesn't, if that fear is simply imagined and unreal, if there's no basis of truth, then over time we can learn how to simply refuse to believe that fear and move on. But if there is some truth to that fear, and we deeply examine it, then we learn how to take steps to deal with the problems, to deal with the circumstances surrounding that fear, and move on as well. Here are three truths that I hang on to when I'm afraid from Scripture. First, God understands us and our fear. David writes in Psalm 139, He writes this to God. He says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. He says, Your workmanship is marvelous. I say that every morning when I look in the mirror. (laughs) Your workmanship is marvelous. It's scripture. You can quote it when you look in the mirror in the morning. And 
how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. David's saying, God knows me inside and out. He's aware of my every thought, my intention, my emotion. In fact, God gave you the emotions that you have. There is nothing wrong with feeling your emotions. He understands us better than we know ourselves. We don't have to apologize for or explain our fear. Second truth, God doesn't condemn me for being afraid. Never once in Scripture are we told that it is wrong or weak or sinful for being afraid. It's a normal human emotion and a reaction to circumstances around us. Now, our emotions aren't wrong. Where we get into trouble is what we do with our emotions. What we find in Scripture most often is God sending help to people who are afraid. He helps them face their fear and move on. David king of the nation of Israel, author of most of the Psalms in the Old Testament, experienced a great deal of fear in his life. Saul was the king before David, and when he found out that David was going to succeed him, he tried to kill him, pursued him, chased him into exile. David was afraid. A lot of the Psalms were written in that period in his life. There's a lot of fear you read when you read the Psalms. Later on in his life, after he'd been king, one of David's own sons, Absalom, tried to kill him. Again, David writes about his fear. David experienced family conflict, military battles, lots of experiences in his life where he was afraid. And never once does God condemn him for his fear. Never once does David make it his goal to never be afraid again. Get this stoic uh, uh, attitude about him and say, I'm never going to be afraid again. That's not realistic. Instead, David says, when I am afraid, I'll put my trust in God. God understands us, how we're made, how we're wired, and he doesn't condemn us when we are afraid. What he does promise, and I cling to this truth, is that he cares and he's there to help us. And how we unleash that care is through prayer. We just simply talk to God about our fears. Paul writes in Philippians, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. Just talk to God when you're afraid. Tell him honestly what's going on in your heart and your mind, and ask him to help you. The third way that we deal with fear is that we face fear with our friends. Proverbs 18 says, Friends come and friends go, but a true friend, the kind of friend we're looking for to help us with our fears, will stick by us like family. In the Old Testament, they had this custom when they experienced something that was deeply traumatic in their life, sometimes a death, a deep loss, that caused deep emotion for them. Could be fear, could be grief. They'd grab a hold of the edges of their garment and they would tear it. 
And that outer tearing was representative of what was going on inside of them. Their heart was broken. Their emotions were just ripping them apart. They go through their period of grieving. And at some point, they'd experience some healing. They'd work through this with their faith and their fear or their grief. Because most of the people just had one set of clothes, they at some point would want to mend that tear. And scriptures talk about the tearing, but they don't talk about the mending. You have to go outside the Bible into Jewish tradition and Jewish rabbinical writings to find the custom for mending that garment. They literally had to go to their religious leaders and go through a ceremony to mend the garment. So you'd walk up to the rabbi in the synagogue or the temple. And you'd walk through a conversation like this. Rabbi, can I mend my garment? Yes, my child. You can mend your garment. But you have to mend it with the frayed edges out. To remind all who see you that neither you nor your garment will ever be the same again. Rabbi, can I sell my garment? No, my child. Because your garment, like your grief, must remain uniquely yours. Most of the people lived in really small towns, 50 people or less. So you knew people. And you'd see people walking through town with a torn garment, and you knew something rough was going on in their life, and it was impacting their faith. They were torn. And then one day you'd see them walking through town, and they'd have this mend, mended spot on their garment with the frayed edges out. You knew they'd made it through. They'd experienced some healing. Their faith had come through stronger because of what they'd been through. When I'm struggling in my life, when I have fears, when I have grief, when my faith is bruised and battered, those are the people that I want to find. I want to look for friends who have those frayed, torn edges exposed. People who know loss and fear and grief, not the people whose garments are whole and perfect because they don't really know the pain. I want to find people who've come through rough times in life and are on the other side, who've kept the faith and are stronger for it. People I've come to call the fellowship of the torn robe. I think those are the true friends that Proverbs is talking about, the ones that stick close to you. They're the kind of people who won't just tell me to have faith in the tough times. They won't minimize my pain. They'll help me trust God when I don't have the strength to do that. They'll let me lean on their faith when mine is too weak to support me, when life knocks my legs out from underneath me. And they can do that for us because they know the struggles of a genuine faith, one that's real, one that's fought for, one that's been through some battles and is bruised and tested and proven over time. They are a part of the fellowship of the torn robe. I need those people in my life. You do too. 
People who can help me hold on to my faith, hold my fears up to the truth and see if they're real or imagined. People who won't shame me in my fear, but walk with me and love me as I am and help me grow. Fear is going to come in our lives. It will. It's part of our condition. And the fears that we experience these days don't mean that our faith is weak or our faith is gone. They don't mean that we're drifting away from God. They just mean we're human. But with time, with faith, with truth, and with friends, we can live a life where we can say what David said, when I'm afraid, I will trust in God.